things. So we are continuing this series that we've been going through, which I've called Adventures with God. And uh, if all goes well this week, if you want to listen back to those in other places, I should have those past sermons available through iTunes and, and all that this week for uh, um, podcasting and, and all that if you want to listen to later. So we'll try and get that sorted out as well with some other bits and pieces. But we've looked at, at Jonah uh, and uh, seen how God works in our difficult circumstances and difficult times. We've, or, sorry, Joseph. And we looked at Gideon secondly and talked about what real bravery is, that it's not just bravado, but uh, that real bravery in the faith is about obedience. We talked about David and particularly looking at his aspect uh, or as part of his life with uh, Goliath and that we need to live with a passion for God's glory. And then we talked about his son Solomon and his great wisdom and that we need to seek wisdom from God. And last week, we uh, looked over parts of the life of Daniel and talked about having courage through consistency. This is the way Daniel was able to get through the lion's den and do what he needed to do was because that is the habits he had developed in his, in his life. And so we've got one more next week, which is uh, Esther, as I mentioned, but today we're going to look at Jonah. Along the way, as we've looked through these, these lives, we've learned some lessons from a wide range of people and Jonah certainly fits into the wide range of people we're looking at in the events. Some of the people we've looked at have been strong, some of the people have been weak and have needed a lot of encouragement along the way or, or guidance and some of the ones we've looked at have been people that we love and then some of them have been people that have irritated us a little bit or have issues or, or problems that, uh, that cause us a little bit of concern. But we've seen a, a wide range of people and circumstances here. And so today we look at, at Jonah, and, and he fits in there. Maybe he's one you love. Maybe he's one that, that irritates you a little bit or confuses you some. But we're going to look at Jonah. And usually when we talk about Jonah or when the name Jonah comes up, the first thing we think about is the whale or the fish. And uh, here's where we'll start is I'm going to tell you now the story of Jonah is not about the whale. Uh, in fact, the whale, as far as God records it, the whale really is almost, not entirely, but almost insignificant to what God is trying to teach us through what's going on here. Now, I think, and I've said this before, Jonah can be a little bit of an irritating man. He is prone to being overdramatic in many ways. And when you read through his, uh, his uh, prophet here, you can, you can see that. But I think what really makes him most irritating to me and perhaps to you is not necessarily his character or the way he acts or the things he does. The thing that makes Jonah the most irritating is that reading Jonah is like looking in a mirror. He reveals things to us which we really don't want to see about our own character and about our own nature. And that makes it a hard book to read through and to think through. It is a real event, so I'm not going to make any proofs or try and prove anything about whether it actually happened. Uh, I'm, I believe it was a real event and him being swallowed by the whale, and I'm going to make that assumption as we go, go through this morning. Uh, I'm not going to try and prove or disprove whether the Bible, what it says, is true. I believe it to be, to be true. But one of the things about Jonah and the whole story from beginning to end is that everything seems to be back to front. 
And we'll see this kind of with, with Esther too, as things seem to be turned around from what we expect. So when we come to Jonah, and we know that Jonah is a prophet of God, we expect Jonah to be the good guy, the one who's setting the example, and he turns out to not be the good guy. And then there is uh, Assyria and Nineveh, city of Nineveh, which is known for its wickedness, and we expect it to be shown to be the bad guy, and it turns out to be the good guy. So everything gets flipped around and, and turned upside down in Jonah to help us understand something important about God. The event we focus on mostly, I said, is, is the whale, but the whale really is not the greatest miracle of the book. There is a much greater miracle that takes place here in the book of Jonah. Now, we're going to read in just a moment. One of the things you'll see as we look through is Jonah loves the word great, and he describes so many things uh, as being great. So we're going to follow through the book of Jonah here this morning with four great things that he shows here. There is a great city, there is a great storm, there is a great fish, and there is a great God. Those would be the things we look through. Now, the first three, the great, uh, the, the great city, storm, and fish, we're going to move through those fairly quickly because what we really want to focus on, which is what the book of Jonah is really about, is the last one, the great God. And so we're going to get to that. But let's start this morning. We're going to start by reading from the end of chapter 3. So chapter 3, verse 10, and we'll read through to the end of chapter 4. It says, And God saw their works, that is, the works of Nineveh, after they've heard the, the word of God and repented. It says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. There's that dramatics. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it may be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. It came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to this great 
story, this great event, help us to learn the lessons, help us to have softness and humility of heart, to see its truth, to see you more clearly, and to bring our lives into line with who you are. We thank you in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. So this is the end of the story. We're going to quickly go back and we'll rehearse our way up to that end and how the end comes to be like this. And uh, as I mentioned, we're going to follow the four greats that Jonah uses through his book. And the first of those is a great city. It says in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, as we come back to the beginning, it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So here is a, a great city. This, this city of Nineveh is a great city, and it's great in size. It was established back in the time of, of Genesis um, around uh, the life of, of Nimrod, and he had a big influence in the establishment of this city. It's located on the Tigris River there in the, in the Middle East. It's, uh, today, if we're thinking about where it would be, it's near a town we're probably familiar with in Iraq called Mosul, or Mosul in Iraq. Uh, around that area is what is supposed to have been the tomb of Jonah. Now, back in 2017, when ISIS was making their way through and they were destroying churches and, and uh, all the different uh, important articles and effect, uh, things throughout that area, one of the things that they were said to have destroyed was the tomb of Jonah through that area as they went through Mosul and, and destroyed all that. Today, all that's left of the city of Nineveh are two mounds, and uh, one of those mounds is named after Jonah. Um, and that's the, the effect that Jonah had on the area at the time, that even to this day there are still places that bear his name. This city of Nineveh was great in size. It's, it's said, and historians and, and all say, that the outer wall of it was, uh, had a circumference of probably somewhere around 95 kilometres. So this was no small city. In fact, most think it was probably the largest city in the world at the time. Uh, in terms of, of size. Uh, there were, as we read in chapter 4, 120,000 people that lived in this city. Just to put that in context, the city of Canning, where we are now, which you know, goes from uh, you know, Riverton through to Canning Vale, parts of it, and Bentley and all around, 95,000 people. So it's uh, larger by somewhat over where we are right now. So it was a great city and one that is great in size. It was also a city that had great power, a city of great power. It was always a royal city. So there was always a palace for the king there. It was not always the capital, although at this time it was, but it was an important city to the Assyrians. And while at this time the Assyrians weren't a great threat to Israel, um, they still caused some problems, but weren't the huge threat that they were or that they would become. It was still a place of great power. But what we also see in verse 2 is, while it was this great and big city and it had great influence in the world and, and had executed great power, it was a city of great wickedness. Verse 2 tells us that the wickedness of Nineveh rose up to God. That is, that God could see just how wicked this city was. They were known for their wickedness. 
Now, as God often does, he brings it to a place where it is now time for judgment to fall on that wickedness. They had been spurning the law of God. They had been rejecting God. They had been tormenting the people of God for long enough. And now it was time for God to bring judgment on their wickedness. And so that's the the great city that begins it. And this is the city that God calls Jonah to go see. And so the next great we see is this great storm, because that's where we move into as we move through chapters. So verse 3 says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So here is our prophet. God calls a prophet named Jonah to go preach to this city, Nineveh, to the Assyrians. 2 Kings 14 tells us we're in the time of Jeroboam II. So the Israel is prosperous, but they are spiritually empty uh, in a terrible place, which is interesting because Jonah is not going to Israel, who desperately need word from God or need to follow God, but that's not where he's sent. Uh, and it's so Jonah goes to to Nineveh, the enemy, and not to Israel. This is one of those back-to-front moments. Because usually when we see the prophets, we see the prophets going to the people of God, saying, repent, come back to God. But here, this prophet is sent somewhere else, to another people. So Jonah isn't a great prophet. He is a selfish man. And so when God tells him that he is to go to Nineveh to uh, give them a warning... He runs, and this is where the storm comes. So instead of obeying God, Jonah attempts to run, and he attempts to run big. So let's assume for a moment that where I'm standing here is is Israel, uh, where God has called uh, Jonah to go is, uh, we'll say, that door over there, Nineveh. So it's a long way away, it's a long trip for him to go, and it's all the way over there to Nineveh. What Jonah decides to do, instead of go this way to Nineveh, he decides to go to Tarshish, which would be that door over there. Right, so he hasn't just stayed and he hasn't just gone somewhere. He has decided that he is going to go the exact opposite in as far as he can possibly go. So Tarshish is all the way on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea in what would now be modern Spain. So he has tried to flee to the other end of the world from where God had asked him to go. But you can't outrun the presence of God. And that, in part, is one of the underlying themes through Jonah. And what happens next when the storm comes and he gets swallowed by the whale, this is not about God forcing Jonah to do what he doesn't want to do. So don't read that into the story. This isn't about God saying, God, I told you to do this, Jonah, and I'm going to make you do it. That's not what Jonah's about. That's not why the whale happened. That's not what he's doing. He's not trying to force Jonah to do what he doesn't want to do. What he is doing is he is trying to teach Jonah who God is and what God's heart is and mold Jonah into a man after his own heart. That's what this is all about. Not a punishing, vindictive God who's trying, one, to destroy a city and then to punish the prophet who wouldn't do it. It's the opposite of that. So while Jonah tries to flee from God, we know the story through, through chapter 1 there, 
God sends this hurricane of a storm, a storm so large that these seas and sailors are, are terrified by where they're at, and they try to calm the storm by appealing to every god that they can think of. Any god that they worship on the board, on the, on the ship, they're trying to appease that god in one way or another. But, of course, we know that Jonah knows why this is happening. He understands that this is bigger than what's going on there and why it's happening. And then as they're all trying to figure out what to do, they come to Jonah. And verse 9 of chapter 1 says, And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Now, in that verse, can you see Jonah's monumental lack of self-awareness? Why is he on that boat to run from God? But when he is asked, he says, oh, I worship God, the one who made the seas. He's not doing a very good job of that, is he? He has no idea what he is saying and the ridiculousness that he is talking. So he comes up with his plan. Verse 12, it says, and he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Now at first reading, this plan may sound like a selfless act. Oh, it's my fault that you're in this. I want to, to get you out of this, so just throw me overboard and everything will be okay if you get rid of me and, and you will be saved. It seems like it might be selfless, but not really. Is this the only way that Jonah could have appeased God and done the right thing? Well, the only way God is going to be appeased is if I get thrown overboard. No, that's not the only way. Or could it be that in Jonah's mind, if he gets thrown overboard in the middle of a torrential storm, in the middle of a sea, he will never have to go to Nineveh. He dies. Sure, the ship may do it, but Jonah gets out of the very thing he's been trying to escape. There is no goodness in this plan. It's entirely selfish. You can see again Jonah's over-dramatizing of things as he goes through. So there is this great city, a great storm, which leads us to the great fish. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights while he is in that uh, that fish he cries for mercy chapter 2 and verse 7 says when my soul fainted within me i remembered the lord and my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple so as jonah sinks to his death in this whale and in this sea he cries out to god for mercy the God he ran from, he's now calling to save him. And so God provides a merciful miracle. Verse 17 says God prepared this fish to save him. And the end of chapter 2 and verse 10 says, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. God miraculously saves him. He shows great mercy. Like I said before, I believe this is real. I believe Jonah did get swallowed by the whale and was spit out again. But though that is amazing, and if that is, is 
an amazing miracle. You think, how can that possibly be? It would have to be divine intervention for that to take place and for this to happen. So that is an amazing, amazing miracle if that is true. And it is an amazing miracle. But it's still not the greatest miracle of the book of Jonah. There is something that takes place even greater and that's where we are headed to this morning. In fact, the fish is only mentioned twice in the book of Jonah. One, when it tells us the end of chapter one that God prepared it, and the second time at the end of chapter two when it tells us that he spit Jonah onto the land. In this desperation, Jonah rededicates his life to God in chapter two and verse nine. It says, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So he's in this desperate moment where you know, he, all he needs is God and he recognises he needs God in this, this fish as he's, he's thinking he's going to die and drown in there and he pleads to God, God, if you'll save me, I will give my life and serve you. And so God rescues him at the end of chapter 2 and then in verse th- uh, 1 of chapter 3, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So the joy that Jonah has when he comes out of the fish and he's saved quickly turns back into sorrow. Because God says, you remember the thing I told you to do before you got swallowed by the fish? That's what I want you to do now. And Jonah is not happy about that. He's not happy that he's been told to do the very same thing. So this great city, this great storm, and this great fish are all there to lead us to this point and to this idea, a great God. And that is what Jonah is really about. And that's where we'll spend the rest of our, our short time here this morning. So we read uh, verse 1 and 2, verse 3 of chapter 3 continues. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. That three days' journey, we're not real sure what that means. Was he three days away from it? Is it three days across? There's some uncertainty on that. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So here is where we begin to see some of this great God. The first thing that we come to understand about this great God is this, is that he warns sinners of judgment. The great God warns sinners of judgment. God's desire isn't judgment. Nineveh is wicked. Nineveh is rebellious and cruel. Their their cruelty and their wickedness were well known throughout the world. It was not a great place. It was a vile place. They were not a nice people. And the people of Nineveh, because of the way they acted and because of the, the violence and the, the cruelty and the rebelliousness of their nature, they were easy people to hate because they were so atrocious. And in fact, Jonah did hate them. This time, though, as Jonah goes to Nineveh, so he obeys this time, he goes to Nineveh, he seems pleased to preach this message because this message that he has for them 
is a message of coming judgment. He seems happy to be able to go to Nineveh and tell them God is going to judge. That seems to be good to him. But God's intent is warning. Notice the message that Jonah gives is that they have 40 days. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. Contrary to what many want to believe, God doesn't love condemning people. He doesn't love to condemn people. To the Israelites, when they were in wickedness and sin, he says in Ezekiel 33, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Yes, he will punish wickedness. He is just and he is righteous. So he will punish wickedness. There is no doubt about that. He will do it. But God has gone to extraordinary lengths to warn of punishment. He sent Jonah. Jonah didn't go, so he saved Jonah so that Jonah could go. And when Jonah does go, the message is 40 days. 40 days and then judgment will come. This warning about judgment, about judgment coming and this time to to repent and come is, is not just for Nineveh. It's for all people. We are all under the judgment of God because of our sin and our wickedness and our rebellion. Romans 3, verse 23, many of us will know, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because we've rebelled. We've denied him. He spoke most loudly of this in Jesus John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Like Jonah, God has given us the privilege to proclaim the warning to those in danger. As believers in Christ, we are the warning siren. Judgment will come if there isn't repentance. So we must proclaim it even to those we dislike. God's desire isn't judgment. His desire is change. God's desire isn't judgment. His desire is change. The reason God warns is so that it can be avoided. Let me finish the verse I read for you from Ezekiel 33. Says, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? Jonah's message is intriguing. Maybe there's more to it. There probably is more to it. He spent a significant amount of time walking through Nineveh, preaching and, and giving a warning. So there's probably more that's not recorded here. But verse 4 tells us at least some of the message. It says, And Jonah began to enter in the city, day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The word overthrown there is used throughout, uh, well, not just the Bible, but through the, the times there in two different ways. Jonah hopes it is used in the first way, which is what perhaps we often think of, and that is destruction. That Nineveh would be overthrown, it would be destroyed. And that seems to be Jonah's hope. 
In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. But the word overthrown is also used in a second way, which means to overturn like a leaf or a change. So on the one hand, it can be used to say overthrown destruction. On the other hand, it can be used to say overthrown or overturned as in change. I believe that the message God gave to Jonah was not only that if they don't repent, that they would be destroyed, but that if they do repent, they would be changed. Jonah wasn't worried and didn't care about the change. He was more worried about the destruction. Sadly, that's how too many people are. We warn of coming judgment in the hopes of change even of those that we fiercely disagree with. Great mercy of this God warns sinners of judgment, but also he provides salvation from judgment. Verse 5 of chapter 3 continues, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way, and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Great God provides salvation from judgment through repentance. So in contrast to Jonah, who took some convincing, Nineveh is quick to respond to the warning. They hear the message and they respond. God clearly has been working here. He has been doing his work. They take the warning seriously. Nineveh hears it and takes this warning seriously. And they don't just say sorry. So it's not about Nineveh going, oh, look, we'll just say sorry and hopefully that'll make everything right. No, they take it so seriously that they humble themselves before God. And they show it in the way that they do. They, they fast and they put on sackcloth and ashes as a way of showing their humility and submission before God. And they're called to put away the evil in their hearts and to to turn from what they have been doing. This is what we're all called to. Repentance. To change our ways to turn to God. To recognize God's warning is true. To recognize that judgment is coming. To humble ourselves before him. To turn from our own way and to follow him. He provides salvation from judgment through repentance and forgiveness of sin. We know their repentance is genuine. And the reason we know that their repentance is genuine is because God tells us he removed them from under his judgment. God did not do what he said he would do if they didn't repent. So this repentance wasn't just a sorrowful act, By the very act of God, by not bringing judgment, it shows to us the repentance of these people was true. This is possible through the great work of Christ on the cross who is yet to come here. 
By turning to God, we are forgiven. We are saved from certain judgment. Now, you remember I said that as we look through the book of Jonah and we often think of the miracle of Jonah in the fish and being saved by the fish, and that that wasn't the greatest miracle of the book. It's not. This is. The fact that Nineveh turns to God is the greatest miracle of the book of Jonah. Surviving in a whale for three days is absolutely miraculous. But a city like Nineveh, which is known throughout the world for its wickedness, for its cruelty, for its hatred of others, to turn from their wickedness and their violence and humble themselves before God, that is a miracle beyond compare. A city of 120,000 people, one of the most powerful in the world at the time, Nineveh repents and God accepts the repentance. That is the greatest miracle. So take heart, Christian. Keep praying. Keep witnessing. Never give up. Those that we think are beyond the pale, those that we think are beyond the scope of God reaching them, we have no idea to know that. God can do amazing miracles in the lives of people. Salvation in any life, whether it's a life that is drawn out of absolute wickedness or whether it comes to a life that is is born in a Christian home and is saved young, no matter where or when salvation happens in a life, it is a miracle, an absolutely glorious miracle. Nineveh shows us that God's mercy is wider than we comprehend far greater than we can imagine. The great mercy of God we see in that he warns sinners of judgment, he provides salvation from judgment, and also that he is gracious and merciful. Chapter 4, part of where we read as we began, it says in verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. So Nineveh has repented, God has said, because they repented, I will not judge. And Jonah is angry. Verse 2, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Doest thou well to be angry? And this is where, I said, Jonah gets uncomfortable. Because we have to look into the mirror. And we have to see who God is and we have to see what's in our own heart. Because God exposes our hard hearts. Jonah gets angry with God because Nineveh repents. This is where, verse 2 of chapter 4, is where we find out why Jonah ran. Jonah tells God, the reason I ran is because I knew that you're gracious. I knew that you're merciful. God, he prays you're too soft. You let them get away with their evil. 
It's easy to scold Jonah until we examine our own lives. Have I thought of someone's doom more joyfully than I've considered their salvation? Let me give you, it's a a distant example, and maybe I should use one that's more close to home to be more pointed, but here is something that I think we'll recognise. Several years ago when in the US when President Trump was still president, he was travelling on a Sunday morning and as he was travelling back to his home where he had been, he was going to pass a church uh, of a pastor who was, uh, was a, a faithful pastor and preaching the word of God. So he made a spontaneous decision to stop by that church. Now, in the middle of the service, it was told to the pastor, President Trump is going to come into the service. So he said, okay, well, let's... So President Trump came. He came up onto the platform and the pastor of that church, with the president beside him, prayed for the salvation of President Trump. Now, what happened after that reveals the heart of so much of modern Christianity. That pastor was absolutely beaten up in the press and the media and the Christian media. How dare he pray in a service for President Trump? So what had happened is the hatred in our hearts for a man outweighed our desire for his salvation. God has a way of revealing the hardness of our hearts, showing us that the people that irritate us, the people that oppose us, that cause angst in our lives, sometimes we think more evilly about them than we do more savingly for them. That was Jonah's problem. Jonah did not want Nineveh saved. He wanted Nineveh destroyed. But God, while he reveals our hard hearts, exposes our hard hearts, in that he reveals his soft heart. Jonah was right. God is gracious and God is merciful. God is just and he is righteous and he will punish sin but he is supremely loving. When Moses had the great privilege of being able to see the presence of God, the way God describes himself and passes before him, he says, I will show you my goodness and my mercy. What Jonah hadn't considered in all of this was how gracious and merciful God had been to him. God was about to teach that to Jonah. We see the great mercy of God in that he warns sinners of judgment. He provides salvation for judgment. He is gracious and merciful. And finally here, that he is patient. Who is worthy of the mercy of God? Verse 5 continues the story of chapter 4. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd or tree and made it to come up over Jonah 
that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd, but God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered, and it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even to death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not laboured, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than sixscore thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle? That is, they don't know right from wrong. So to help Jonah understand what God is doing, God uses an object lesson. He uses a tree. Jonah went out of the city of Nineveh after he has preached his message of destruction and the, the people repent. He goes out and he goes up and he sits on a hill and he sits on that hill to watch Nineveh be destroyed. That is his hope. He can sit there and maybe God will do it with fire and brimstone like Sodom or maybe the armies will come and he wants a front row seat to the destruction of Nineveh. So he builds a shelter and he sits there. And while he sits there under the shelter he built, God builds or, or brings a tree and grows a tree for him that brings him great shade. Jonah, it tells us in verse 6, is overjoyed with this tree. It fills him with exceeding gladness, we're told, to have this tree covering him from the sun. But then God sends a worm and a hot wind. And neither of them are for Nineveh, they're for Jonah. The tree dies. And again, Jonah is angry. And God asks the second time, is Jonah right to be angry? So verse 4, doest thou well to be angry? Verse 9, and God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? So God asked that question twice. Are you right to be angry? And the reason he asked it twice is because he wants an answer. God wants Jonah to answer the question so that he knows what's happening in his heart. And then comes verse 10. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not laboured, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein is more than six score, 120,000 persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left? That's God's mic drop. Boom. You're crying about a tree. And you didn't plant that tree, and you didn't grow that tree. I did, Jonah. If you're crying over a tree... Why should I not cry over the people of Nineveh? And that is the message God is pounding into the heart of Jonah. Jonah, you mourned over a bush 
more than you mourned over the death of 120,000 people. Where did Jonah get the tree from? God. Did he deserve that tree? No. So the message then comes to us, what has your heart? What has your heart? The message of Jonah is pointed. It's at the beginning. One of the things that makes Jonah irritating is because it is so much like a mirror. It makes us look at God and look at our own hearts. What has your heart? Are we more concerned about the things we have? the comforts we gain in this world, the pleasures, than we are about people? Do we genuinely understand the mercy of God? Are there people you have wished trouble for on more than you've hoped for repentance? God, I wish you'd just cause that to, to, just to ruin their lives. Make this happen so that just go away. Cause them problems so they're not causing me problems. And we ruminate and we, we cause tension in our own lives because we're more concerned about evil happening on them or trouble or issues on them than we are about saying they need Jesus. Jonah calls us to examine our heart. He calls us to see a bigger miracle than surviving a fish. But the miracle of the gospel transforming lives. Sadly, the repentance of Nineveh didn't seem to pass to the next generation. Another prophet, Amos, would have to be sent later to give another warning to them, but that warning the next generation would not heed. But the question for us is also, not just did Nineveh learn the lesson, but did Jonah learn the lesson? It seems he did, or this book wouldn't have been written. We have Jonah's record of the work of God in his own life. There are two grand takeaways from Jonah. One is that God is great, far greater than we imagine in his grace and in his mercy. And the other is that God values people, all people, highly. So never underestimate the work that God can do in a life. Jonah is the only prophet that Jesus uses as an example of himself. As he was in the fish for three days and three nights, so Jesus would be in the grave for three days and three nights. He uses it as an illustration of his death and his resurrection. His death to pay for your sin. A sin that puts you under judgment. Condemns you because you are rebelling against the God who created all things including you. And his resurrection. The resurrection that gives life that saves from sin and gives eternal life. By believing Jesus as Savior, you too can know forgiveness, the grace and the mercy of God. 
And it doesn't matter where you're at. And it doesn't matter what your life looks like and how awful and how, how vile you may think your life is and how worthless you may think you are. That does not matter. Forgiveness can come to all who repent and believe. So my call this morning is if you have never believed Jesus as your Savior, make today the day that you do that. If you need to know more, say, I need to, then come ask me, come see me, and we will talk our way through it more. We'll explain it more. Or see the person next to you say, can you tell me more about Jesus? But don't leave without knowing that Christ can be your Savior. Believer, where are our hearts right now? Are we battered down by what we think of politicians or politics or, or work or things or what's happening in our world? Or are we seeing people that desperately need to repent and find forgiveness? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, the story of Jonah is not an easy one. There is so much depth of truth in it to discover about what it shows us about, about who you are, about your grace, about your mercy, about your judgment, about your righteousness. But help us, dear God, to learn the lessons as Jonah did. That you are a God of great, great mercy. Help us not to be caught up in our own selfishness, but to see the world as you do. To see it with eyes of grace and love. To desire repentance, not destruction. We thank you for the lessons, and we pray that we would continue to grow and be transformed through the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.